until we could safely navigate it by pack raft. And then we broke down the bikes, put them back on the rafts, and then we floated 90 miles out towards the Arctic Ocean. This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180TAC. Get out there and have some fun. Episode 82, Brett Davis, Bikepacking Expeditions. Hello and welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. This is your host, Kurt Linville. We have a returning guest today, Brett Davis, Brett Davis, you may recall from episode 44, he was talking about at the time outdoor pursuits at Fort Lewis College in Drango, Colorado. Brett Davis is the coordinator of outdoor pursuits there, and it's an amazing program that introduces college students to all sorts of adventure sports. But that's not really why we have Brett here today. We wanted to visit with Brett more specifically about one of his favorite sports, which is bike packing. So, you use a, a a mountain bike style bike with the right type of a gear setup so that you can go on multi-day backcountry trips on a bicycle. So it's like backpacking, but with a bike. And here's something else really cool. Brett Davis is friends with Steve Fastbinder. Now, Steve was on the show several weeks back. Steve was talking to us about pack rafting, but here's something that's really cool. Brett and Steve know each other, and they just returned from an epic trip to Alaska where they went up toward the Arctic Circle in the Brooks Range. So first, Brett, welcome very much to the program again. We're really glad to have you back. Thanks, Kurt. I'm super psyched, buddy. Super psyched. Well, we want to hear just a brief summary of this adventure toward the Arctic Circle in the Brooks Range. Before we dive into this bikepacking, you got to tell us what happened up in Alaska. This trip kind of came about as a whim when Steve uh, and I passed each other uh, on a trail in Durango mountain biking one evening. And uh, we both were like, I said, Steve, what's your big trip for the summer? We got to do something because I had a few things planned and they had fallen through for this one shape, form or another. And uh, he looked at me and he said, we're thinking Alaska. And so next thing you know, uh, I'm like, I'm in. And I had no idea what we'd be getting into. Neither of us did at the time. And so him, myself, and another gentleman named John Bailey started having Wednesday evenings um, at a brewery, local brewery, talking about what we could do in Alaska and reaching out to contacts up there and came up with this idea that we would attempt to um, pack raft um, off of the Hall Road, um, which is the road that follows the Alieska Pipeline um, all the way to Prudhoe Bay. We would start off that road about 400 miles north of Fairbanks uh, above the Arctic Circle and then take fat bikes with us and do a 10-day to 11-day trip into the Brooks Range. And see, we were told we were pretty crazy. We wouldn't be able to ride anything on there with bikes. We would just be pushing along. But um, being the hard-headed individuals we are, we thought there were possibilities there. Plus, from some local hard men up in Alaska, they had said, yeah, you guys might be able to do it. So we, um, yeah, we started in, and we got a plane tickets. We got bikes, and we got pack rafts, and we flew up there. 
and borrowed a Dodge Sprinter van and drove the craziest road I've probably ever driven up there. And then, yeah, pack rafted into the range. Um, our first night, we started at 7 o'clock at night with um, a Class 3 plus forge with one big Class 4 rapid, and we had big fat bikes with 5-inch tires trapped to the bow of our boats with all our gear and food for 10 days inside our boats. And then um, managed to negotiate the gorge, woke up uh, the next morning, and then packed up bikes and spent the next five days kind of riding up these beautiful glacial river valleys and pushing up over passes. And we climbed a big peak at the head of one of them. And then we dropped into another um, big, huge river valley at its headwaters of a river. And from there, we were planning on putting on inflating the pack rafts and floating out, but there wasn't enough water in the river at the time, so we rode 25 miles down it until we could um, safely navigate it by pack raft, and then we put the bu- broke down the bikes, put them back on the rafts, and then we floated 90 miles out towards the Arctic Ocean, um, so over the course of 10 days. So pretty darn amazing trip. <laughs> that is an amazing trip. Yeah, I can count on... Uh, I've been all over this globe, and um, this is one of the few places where I've ever been where I weren't on any trails. Um, there were no sign of humans for 10 days. All, all grizzly bears, wolverines, wolves, um, caribous, arctic fox. Uh, so it's pretty darn special. So for the listeners, I have to apologize. There's a, a storm system moving through Durango right now, and we think it's impacting the, the throughput. And so Brett's Cutting out a little bit, but Brett, we're getting most of what you're saying, and it's an amazing story. So all told, 10 days, you said it was about 25 miles on the one side and then 90 miles on the other. Well, the whole route the whole route was just over 200 miles because in between there we rode another 100 miles of riding in there. So you know, 9 to 15 miles of pack rafting, another 100 miles of riding, another 90 miles of paddling out. So a little over 200 miles of was the route. That's amazing. So when people are thinking about backpacking, I mean, we have through hikers that do thousands of miles, but it's over an extended period of time. To do this kind of distance using rafts and bikes, well, that's kind of unique. I don't think there are a lot of people that are doing that in the backcountry. No, it's it's growing, definitely. There's some cool. There's some guys out there doing some amazing things. I read about a gentleman the other day who's actually a Colorado man uh, who just got back from Mongolia doing something similar. Um, but, yeah, we... We're now looking at maps totally different with the advent of these pack rafts and the advent of what we can do with bikes and the type of bikes we're utilizing. So now this the creative side of me, when I look at a map, is a totally different way than I did ever before. That's really cool. So you saw grizzly bears. You saw, did you say wolverines? Yeah, we saw a wolverine on our first night out there in that gorge and then a big old white wolf and yeah, Arctic fox and a huge herd of caribou and a musk ox while we were in there as well. <laughs> Fantastic. You know, you were really in a remote place. It's it's rare to see that kind of stuff. How cool is that? Brett, take a few minutes, if you would, to kind of spell out what bike packing is like. Um, what kind of bikes are you using and how do you get all the gear on the bike and and what's it feel like? How heavy does this rig get and, and how mobile is it in the backcountry? it really depends on um, what you're trying to accomplish like on this trip that we just completed we were using bikes that 
had five inch tires. I mean, people look at them, they're like dirt bikes without motors. Uh, and then when you step on the bags we were using and 10 days of food, that bike probably weighed close to 70 pounds. So we just changed out the connection with Brett in hopes to get a little bit better audio. And, and he has such great stories to tell us that we want to make sure that you, the listener, can hear. So anyway, we've got Brett on the line again. And Brett was trying to answer the question about how much these bikes with all the gear weigh and what type of bikes were used. And uh, so, Brett, take it away. Yeah, so I was, what I was saying is that typically it just really depends upon what you're trying to accomplish. Um, with this particular trip in Alaska, we knew that there were, we weren't going to be on any trails and we needed to use the specialized bikes. We were using these big fat tire bikes that essentially look like you know, dirt bike without a motor, uh, big five-inch tires. And then we had a frame bag, and then we have our pack wraps on the front of the bike, and then the racks, and we're carrying all our food and everything. And so that probably, that bike probably weighed close to 70 pounds. Um, I've also done big trips just on regular mountain bikes um, where we didn't need the fat tires and um, gone a lot lighter. Maybe the whole rig weighs 40 pounds. And then there's different equipment that you can utilize and whatnot to lighten things up and and um, go as light as possible if you're going to be pushing up and carrying your bike up over something. And then you can go even lighter because I did a tour last summer uh, where we just uh, were on road bikes, but no, not your typical touring where people would tour across country and they'd have racks and panniers, but we were just using soft bags and um, going very minimalist for like a four-day trip. And, you know, the whole thing probably weighed, you know, 30 pounds, just like it would be a lightweight backpack if you were to do something. So, But on this trip, you said you were about 70 pounds, bike and gear together. Yeah, about 70 pounds. And I'll let you know, um, when you're pushing up over um, tussocks and whatnot, up a steep pass, you feel those 70 pounds. <laughs> Oh yeah, I mean the weight's on the ground, but you're still having to accelerate that uphill. That's that's got to be pretty heavy. Yeah, yeah. And uh, fortunately, we um, we we didn't have too much of that. We had we climbed up over, I guess, three passes, and um, all of them were pretty doable. That we hiked, to, you know, we for sure hiked, uh, but um, it wasn't where to the point of what we call. I guess a, a shuttle or, or portage of sorts where you take everything off the bike, throw it in a backpack, hike the backpack up to the top of the pass, then come back down, get the bike, and then do it, you know. Uh, we didn't have to shuttle loads. We were able to at least push everything up. So that was good. I've had to shuttle loads in the past, so that was nice that we didn't have to do that there. So that's a side of bike packing I hadn't really expected. You know, I was thinking, well, you got all the weight on the bike. If you have to, you can push the bike, but you're saying sometimes it gets so rough that you, you have to unload everything. Yeah, sometimes it just it, it makes it smarter to um, just take everything off and and uh, and then I've done it. Uh, I did a trip. A buddy and I did a trip that we didn't even know if it would happen. Where we um, rappelled into a canyon, into the canyon floor. We had two rappels and then a down climb um, with bikes and gear into this canyon floor, and we started riding it out. And then there was a couple sections where. Yeah, we had to totally take everything off the bike, shuttle stuff through, whether it was chest-deep water um, or under these huge boulders and around them, and then go back and get the bikes and then play Tetris with them to get them through as well. So sometimes that happens. But that's more on the extreme end of what 
packing the most bike packing. People aren't doing that, you know, but some of us are just a little wacky. <laughs> well, you're, you're going, um, in areas that aren't really set up for bikes to see how far you can make it. And I guess those are the breaks sometimes. Yeah. I mean, that, and that's what I, I think the, with the advent of specialized equipment like these bikes and like pack rafts. And, and then also with, I think, the skill sets that I've been able to develop over the years, whether it's from all the climbing and all the paddling uh, and all the time spent on bikes and outdoors or whether it's skiing or whatnot, I, I've come to the point of using, of just looking at maps and looking at possibilities. Oh, is this possible or not? Maybe we can combine, um, you know, the bike and rappelling into this canyon, whatever it may be. Um, to do this sort of stuff. So it allows for a lot of creativity and you can come up with some cool little adventures. Wow. Well, what are the advantages to bikepacking over backpacking? If the listeners are saying, well, why would I try this? What, what would your answer be? Well, I don't, you know, I think I enjoy doing both. And there is, and like two weekends ago, we were out backpacking into the basin and climbs the big peaks and there was no way you could take bikes in there. Um, but I think that um, for me, the lure of being able to move through a terrain um, at a, a little bit faster pace or whatnot and combine, uh, you know, get in there quicker and combine the ability to do other things, uh, it's pretty neat. You know, it's like people backpack the Colorado Trail. You can also mountain bike the Colorado Trail. Um I have mountain bike to Colorado Trail, two rider. I haven't backpacked it yet, um, and so, but you can't back, you can't bike pack the Appalachian Trail. So that's that would be a great one to backpack. So I mean, I think that it's to each his own. And some people are backpackers, some people are mountain bikers, and um, to be able to combine the sport um, into one is pretty fun. Let's talk car racks, specifically Yakima and Thule. Chances are, if you're listening to our show, you either have one, want one, or you're going to need a car rack soon. Car racks, whether on the roof or on the back, need a good set of locks to keep your gear locked down to the rack and to your car. Good news. Our new sponsor, Z-Lock, has new lock sets for all Thule and Yakima racks at about one-third less than anywhere else. These lock cores are sourced from the original manufacturer and include bonus keys. Need replacement keys or cores matched to your current lock code? Z-Lock has replacement options even if you've lost all of your keys and don't know your key number. Check this out. Z-Lock is offering Adventure Sports Podcast listeners an additional 20% off their already low prices plus free shipping. Just enter the code ADVENTURE at checkout and you'll save up to 50% off a of retail. Go to zlock.com forward slash adventure. That's Z-E-L-O-C-K dot com forward slash adventure and save. If you're thinking about your future, think about Fort Lewis College in Durango, Colorado. Think a beautiful mountain campus where hiking, biking, kayaking, and snow riding are right outside your door. Think a friendly community buzzing with music, arts, events, and sports. Think faculty mentors, real research, and professional experiences that prepare you to both make a living and make a life. If you think college should be an adventure, think Fort Lewis College. See for yourself at fortlewis.edu.
I don't know how many people have attempted the the really longer trips on the bikes, and I'm just kind of thinking about when I'm backpacking, I'm always trying to figure out a way to get the weight off my back, you know, because after about eight or twelve hours with with a good heavy pack on, I mean, I'm just beat, you know, that wears me down. So having that weight on the bicycle instead, it's a whole different dynamic. Yeah, it it, it is, and. Like on this last trip, that's what we tried to do. We tried to get all the weight on our bike. So, like I said, our pack rafts and paddles were on the front of the off the handlebars. Then we had a frame bag, um, which is a soft bag that goes into the the triangle, um, kind of that middle section of the frame of the bike, and that was loaded for me with bicycle repair stuff, uh, a tube, and then food, lots of food. And then um, we had racks on our bikes, rear racks. Um, Sometimes I won't use a rear rack, but on this case, because of the amount of food and gear we needed to carry, uh, we had those racks on the back, and those carried more food and some extra stuff. And then we had really light packs that um, had mostly clothes and my sleeping bag and um, sleeping pad in it, so it was pretty light. So uh, it just made for riding that much more, more comfortable versus if you had all that stuff on your back and you were riding the bike. So it's it's um, definitely getting it off the back and onto the bike is, um, I think, a crucial sort of thing. Oh, that's cool. And, you know, getting the bike up some steep hill with all that weight, I know, has got to be kind of a pain. But, man, the reward on the other side to be able to coast down, you know? Yeah, and that was the thing is, that, like I said, we had our – sort of critics of like, well, I don't think you guys are going to be able to go in there and do that. And yeah, we pushed up over, I remember our first pass, kind of, as I called it, it was class four <laughs> in terms of hiking up over that thing. But then on the other side, we were able to ride some unbelievable, beautiful terrain and get down there. And the other cool thing is, and I know people worry about, well, you're going into this wilderness area of sorts. Um, and you're leaving impact. Um, with those big tires like that, definitely um, they displace your your weight over so much surface area of the tire that they made very little impact. Only You couldn't even tell where we had ridden uh, or anything, and um, the only thing we left out there were our tracks and sand um, when we were in river bottoms. These are the bikes, a lot of people may have seen them in recent years that they've come out. They're, people call them snow bikes sometimes because they're mm-hmm. big, wide tires. They're made to, to stay up on top of the soft stuff. Yeah, yeah. And that's, it originated in Alaska when the guys up there were, in, you know, um, being innovative and figuring out how they could really uh, be active in the winter of sorts and do these amazing adventures. And it's kind of it's kind of trickled. And at one point, I think people thought it was going to be a fad, and uh, it's definitely not a fad. And and um, so, you know, I've been riding them and doing adventures on them for a while now, and they're pretty darn fun bikes beyond just the winter riding in snow. And I have strapped backcountry ski gear to my bike and ridden up a canyon and then dropped the bike and skinned up you know, um, a peak and skied off and then ridden out. I have done that and they're great for that. But, um, the stuff we're doing, I was, ex- I call them expedition bikes now. And that's what we did last, you know, a couple weeks ago. You know, there's a, uh, a new class of bike racing on these bikes now too, where people are racing these fat tire bikes instead of the straight mountain bikes. Yeah, I know. And down here in Durango, Ned Overin, one of our hometown heroes, 
you know, at age 59, just won the, you know, the fat bike, um, national championships last year. And, and so, uh, but I, I'm kind of, I don't know what I, how I feel about that because, you know, now everything can be raced. I know that. And part of me is just like, oh, do we really need to race fat bikes? But those who do, I applaud them. <laughs> Not me. <laughs> well, you know what I'm loving about, about the, the era in which we live? I, I'm going to date myself pretty badly here, but I remember seeing the first mountain bikes that came out. And I kind of thought those would be a fad, you know, because I was riding on the road and saw a mountain bike and I just laughed. But, you know, that's developed in such an amazing sport with a full suspension mountain bikes and the places they can go, the jumps they can take, the racing is just stellar. I mean, mountain bikes are awesome and it developed into such a neat sport. I'm glad that we have innovators that are developing new things like these pack rafts and these these fat bikes that can go do things that we couldn't do before. I mean, why not? That's awesome. Oh, yeah, it's amazing. And uh, it's pretty cool to see because when I kind of started into doing this stuff, uh, what was available to do uh, to do a bike packing trip? There wasn't much. You know, you had a bike, you had a mountain bike, and then most people were wearing packs or homemade sort of stuff on their back, on their bikes or even using racks. I mean, when I rode the Colorado Trail years ago, um, there weren't any frame bags at the time, and people weren't making them, and there were racks, and I broke three racks while I rode from Denver down to Durango, and since then, you know, we have, I worked locally with one of our, Andrew Ratcher, who owns Bedrock Bags, um, who's one of the guys out there in the world who's making really good frame bags. I also work with another guy in Alaska, Revelit Designs, Eric Parsons, who's doing the same. And it's it's opened up the sport and made it much more doable and feasible and also been able to help us push the sport into terrain that we probably never would have thought of with that old equipment. Neat. Well, tell us a story about an experience that you had that really hooked you on the idea of bike packing. You know, I think that, um, and it's it's pretty darn basic. Um, I rode my bike across the country in the early 2000s, and uh, from Oregon to um, Tybee Island, South Carolina, 4,400 miles, and um, that was my that was more of a touring sort of thing. And I'd always been a mountain biker and always um, loved exploring and being away from people, and that. That time spent 44 days riding 4,400 miles across the country um, was a catalyst for me to be like, man, what could I do off-road? What could we do um, or on gravel roads? What could we do on trails? And so it really got to me thinking about, you know, what other things are out there. And about the same time, um, people were developing the Great Divide Route from pretty much from Roosville, Montana, all the way to Antelope Wells, New, um, New Mexico, right in the Mexico border. And now it's from Banff, Canada down. And they were starting to push the limits of what you could do on a mountain bike. And uh, I remember I picked up an old coffee table book in a thrift store called um, Classic Mountain Bike Rides. It's written by um, Nikki Crother. Um, and it's all these rides around the world. And, um, and I got home from that trip across country and I'd already been thinking about, oh, maybe I could start doing this on the off road. And I found that book 
and in there was the Great Divide Route and pictures of people riding it. And that's pretty much was a big impetus for me. I was like, I'm going to go do that ride. Then I want to do this ride. And then I'm do that one. And so that's how I kind of got started and was a big, huge motivator for me. Mm. Isn't it fun to dream a dream and to be able to go out and try it and find out it's something that you really enjoy? Exactly. Exactly. And, and now I've gotten to the point where um, I've been dreaming about what's next, what's possible with the, you know, multi-sport, combining things, um, and doing it all human-powered. That's been uh, super fun. Well, you guys are definitely doing some innovative and epic stuff. I I really enjoy hearing about what you're up to because it's stuff that, you know, a lot of things I've never even thought about, you know, new ways up mountains and new ways out using pack rafts and using the bikes to cover more distance and to carry the gear you want to carry. And it's really cool. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty darn uh, pretty darn fun. A buddy and I did what I called the loop of fun a couple of years ago where we left Durango, mountain biked up to the San Juans, intersected the Gunnison River, floated, get pack rafts, threw the bikes on, paddled the Gunnison to the Colorado, Colorado all the way to Moab, so 170 river miles, and then mountain biked home all the way back to Durango in the course of 16 days. And <laughs> that's great. That's the sort of stuff that, um, yeah, is out there for anybody to do if you're creative and how you look at things and and uh, and you can go at any pace. Like I've got friends who race the divide, and they've they've ridden twenty eight hundred miles in twelve days. Wow! And uh, you can do that, or you can do it like I did in a month, do it in thirty days, and take your time, and you know, see some, or even do it longer, whatever you want to do. You know, how much biking skill do you need to have before you try some of this stuff? You know, it's interesting that you ask that because. Um, my partner in life, uh, Diana and I just did her first sort of bike packing trip and she would probably be the first to claim that she doesn't have any bike skill, but she's got a lot of fitness. Um, but even then it's, uh, it, it's, it's just like riding a bike. And if you have, if you can take, have what I call good self care of yourself in the back country. So if you can take care of yourself and you understand how to light stoves and camp and do those sorts of things, then it's choose your own adventure out there. Get on a bike, um, talk to people, visit your local shop, get online. There are a lot of great resources out there. And then, um, you can just, you don't have to get on trails or off trails like we, we've been doing. You can, um, Use gravel roads, you know, four-wheel drive roads, things like that. Just do a micro-adventure, leave the house, go out and do something and come back. I think that uh, you don't have to be, um, a, you know, have a huge skill set mountain biking-wise and able to do this stuff. If you can ride a bike, you can get after it. It sounds fun. Tell us a story about a time that things didn't go right. We always ask this question. I mean, it, it's one of our favorite questions because, you know, you, you have an opportunity here to help someone else out when they find themselves in a similar bind. Oh, shoot. I've had my fair share, for sure, of what I call learning moments. Um, and I guess one that comes up immediately when I think about it, and it's kind of funny as well, is that, uh, as I mentioned, uh, a buddy and I, Rode the Great Divide, um, so 2,800 miles down from Canada to Mexico. Um, and then we did that the summer of 2011. And um, we were in New Mexico uh, 
this ending is in sight uh, a couple more days and we were uh, riding the section from Grants, New Mexico towards Pie Town and anybody's followed the divide knows that area but there is a you you can go take a pavement section there or you can follow the true divide and we decided we were uh, we we're going to follow the true divide which means you're going to on the west side of El Malpais National Monument down there and so we, we we roll we roll out of Grants early in the morning and about 50 miles in all of a sudden my buddy Sean is like man I got I'm getting a flat and then he pulls over and he looks at and he's got goat heads all in his tires. These little devil, you know, little seeds that drop off of this plant that are really sharp, razor sharp, um, and they'll puncture anything. And next thing you know, I've, he looks at my tire and he's like, tires, and he's like, you're going to flat too. And we're covered in goat heads. <sighs> so what proceeded was two hours of us sitting on the trail, and we have photos of this, and we are using every patch we have um, to try to uh, catch all these holes that are in our tubes. And it, after two hours and us lining our tires, um, creating tire liners out of um, plastic sheeting that we had as ground cloths, <laughs> and wow. then, um, all the cutting our patches in half to cover everything, we start riding again, and we get three miles in, and we're both double-flatted because the goat heads on the trail were so bad, um, which precipitated, you know, next thing you know, um, we're walking, and the nearest road is 11 miles, and uh, I remember uh, we're getting low on water, and we found a cow tank with a big fiberglass cover, and uh, he has pictures of me dangling, doing this rock climbing move as I'm dangling in there, off the fiberglass to get us water and ended up getting fiberglass all over my chest and stomach through my jersey. Ow. Um, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, to get water. And then the, then we had to continue walking, and we walked all the way to the road, got there at 11 at night, and um, I said, well, let's put our headlamp, headlamps on blinking, see if anybody will pull over. If not, we're just sleeping by this road. And because uh, we need tubes and you know stuff to patch these tires, we there's no way we could ride anymore. And lo and behold, two guys picked us up in an F three fifty and drove us back to Grants where we started. You know that morning, <laughs> and we ended up in the same hotel in the same room that we had had the night before. So um, you know the moral of the story, I guess, is uh, watch out for goat heads and make sure you got plenty of uh, equipment, uh, patches or whatnot, and uh, maybe we should have taken the paved route around that. <laughs> <laughs> so do you think that some tubeless tires would have performed better for you there? Well, you know, uh, in fact, I was tubeless on my front at the time, and um, and all my spans uh, just was being worked, <laughs> you know, filling all those holes. It just wasn't enough. I didn't have enough in there. So, oh, wow. but yeah, we both we both started tubeless at the beginning of the trip, and by steamboat, by the time we got there, I had torn a sidewall coming off a pass in Idaho, and so I was riding with a tube, and I replaced the tire there. And but uh, yeah, it just happens when you're doing something that big. Yeah, so it might be worthwhile to look up information about the trail and find out where 
the trails littered with those goat heads or thorns and maybe just avoid it. Yeah, and, and, and the funny thing is when we got back in the, the next day when we woke up and we ended up, there's no, the nearest bike shop was in Albuquerque, several hours away, um, and or Gallup on 40. So, and we were going to have to hitchhike either. And we went to Walmart and ended up finding some slime and some, uh, we were riding 29ers. They didn't have any 29er tubes. And then fortunately, uh, my parents were in El Paso, Texas, on their way to meet us at the border of Mexico when we finished. And so uh, a quick call to them and said, hey, could you pick up 29er tubes and come up to here and meet us? <laughs> and so uh, kind of a forced rest day where we stayed in air conditioning and waited for them to get there. But uh, it was um, they were they were lifesavers for that. But you're right. We called a buddy who had ridden, had raced the divide and uh, said, what did you do in the section? And he said, oh, we avoid that section. We take the pavement. <laughs> because <laughs> of, of what you guys experienced. So stupid is as stupid as, I guess. <laughs> so do your homework. That's the moral of that story. Yep, that's the moral of the story. Do your homework. <laughs> that's good. Well, what sorts of uh, adventures do you have on the books for the future? You got a big project in the works now? Yeah, we've been talking about a few different things. Um, a gentleman and I, uh, the guy I was in Iceland doing a trip with, a bikepacking trip with last year, uh, I've been talking about um, a similar pack rafting, uh, bikepacking thing, and a peak climb sort of stuff in um, the Soviet Union. Um, and then um, we've got some local things around here. I mean, really, Diana and I want to... Uh, I want to rewrite the Colorado Trail with her again, and then uh, hopefully I won't be breaking racks uh, now that I have much more experience. And then uh, there's a really cool route in Idaho called the um, Hot Springs route that the Venture Cycling's put out, and uh, I'd like to go tour that and soak in some hot springs. And we've identified some other sort of more remote sort of things to add to it uh, that aren't on the maps. Uh, and so um, that's a big one. And then South America, Buddy and I have been talking about going to Bolivia, riding the salt flats and climbing, combining it with some mountaineering. So, uh, and then um, I've got one other project this winter uh, with kind of combined backcountry skiing and bikes where we ski, um, do a big loop here in the San Juan. So we'll see what happens. Brett, you don't slow down much, do you? No, that's the, I, I don't know. I figure if I slow down, I never want to slow down because then I might just stop. And, I don't, you know, I can't do that. So, <laughs> Well, what's it like um, to be on a, a good-sized ride and to be wrestling all this gear? I know it has to be physically taxing. Um, would you recommend people to try to work up to these distances? Or, you know, what's it really like to be out there and to, to have that much strain against your muscles and your frame you know what i'm saying yeah it's interesting um i definitely take care of my fitness and i'm on a bike i was on a bike tonight i was on a bike twice yesterday um and so when i know i'm going to be doing something like the divide or doing something that big or even this summer uh, i put my time in um you know i was up this past summer early at 5 a.m riding the bike loaded, hiking, pushing it up and hiking a local peak around here and riding off the backside um, just to get my body used to the workload. 
Um, but, you know, if it's something like a gravel rider or, or whatnot, you know, it's amazing how you can also work yourself into shape as you're going along um, and just by taking your time and listening to your body. Uh, when I did the divide, people laughed because um, we we talked about outdoor pursuits in the last um, uh, time we spoke, and and uh, the graduation river trip. I ended the story, you know, we ended with that, and I brought a road bike with rollers down that river, and every morning I was on the raft riding and training for two hours before the students got up. When I knew I was going to do that, so I mean, preparing yourself physically just for the workload. Um, but ultimately, when you get out there, if you take your time, uh, you've got, you know, you'll be fine. And then the other half of it, as we all know, is just the mental aspect. I knew going into this Alaska trip that the bugs could be really bad and that we would be fully covered in head nets and everything. Uh, and the weather could be really bad and that we would be having heavy bikes. So mentally, I was prepared for that. And when the bugs were actually pretty mellow, and we actually had sunshine every day, um, that was a bonus. Um, and so it was, but I was still prepared mentally for it all. So that's a big part of it as well. So you have to keep the head game in order first. Yep. And, and I think it's so true in most things in life and everything and all this stuff is what, how we're feeling every day and our attitude when we wake up is, determines how the day is going to go. Even if we're tip-top shape physically, our mind also, always is going to rule the day. Man, that's important to recognize. I think attitude matters so much. You know, if you get down in the mouth about what you're doing, then why are you doing it, for one? But the other thing is it just zaps your strength and your courage and everything else. Yeah, and I see it. It's interesting in my line of work, and I'll see students just struggling, and physically they're more than capable, but their mind's holding them back, whether they get frustrated with themselves or whatever, versus, you know letting go of all that and, um, you know, not fighting yourself. Yeah, I think it's one of the biggest advantages of adventure sports, actually, is to learn the mental discipline, uh, how to manage your attitude, because that carries over to the rest of life. It's so true. It's so true. I was thinking about that tonight when I was descending off a ridge where there was lightning and um, it was raining and I had a flat in my front tire and I was losing air quick when I was trying to get to the house. And uh, I could have been just like, oh, my gosh, what the heck, and been upset about it all, uh, or versus like, okay, well, this is what i got to deal with, and I'll take my time, and everything's going to be okay, and I'll be positive about it. And that's a subtle difference, but it's really important, and I think you do or not pursuing these sorts of activities. For 20 years, Bent Gate Mountaineering has been outfitting climbers, skiers, backpackers, and outdoor enthusiasts with the gear they need. Whether climbing an 8,000-meter peak or buying your first backcountry ski setup, Bent Gate is here to help. Bent Gate is continuing to offer free BC 101 sessions this winter, teaching backcountry ski boot and binding setup, avi safety and beacon practice, clothing systems, and tips and tricks to make your days more enjoyable. If you don't own the gear, Bent Gate offers a full range of rental and demo equipment. Bent Gate also has free demo ski days at local resorts to give you a chance for hands-on experience. Be sure to check bentgate.com 
for our full product selection as well as updates on all these events. This episode of the Adventure Sports Podcast is brought to you by 180TAC.com. 180TAC manufactures premier backpacking and emergency products. Whether you need a backpacking stove for your week-long trek on the trail or an emergency stove for your bug-out bag, we have the tools you need. Visit www.180tack.com. Well, you just gave us a great answer to the next question, which is tips and tricks for the sport. I'm sure you have another one for us, though. Oh, yeah. I mean, um, it's just like anything. Like what I always say to students in backpacking or whatnot, it's like if you're going to do this stuff, um, you know, what we just talked about, your own physical fitness and mental fitness, but then the other side of it is your equipment. Make sure you get equipment that can... Uh, is proper for what you're trying to achieve, whether it's what we needed in Alaska with those bikes or what we're, you know, I'm, my dad and I are going to do a trip hopefully this fall um, that will be on, you know, road bikes and, and that touring bikes. And so make sure your equipment is up to snuff for what you're doing. And then also getting the weight off, uh, keeping things as light as possible. I think the enjoyment factor goes up. Um, and so today, there's so many companies out there that are doing really good quality products that um, that you can utilize that are light that go on your bike to pack your equipment, and then thinking about your equipment itself in terms of making sure that it has dual purposes, you know, and not overpacking, and figuring out what what's the minimalist thing you can deal with, and and, and what makes you comfortable. Um, there's so many cool resources out there and sites that you can look and read about what others are doing and utilizing and, and stuff like that for sure. So, and then the last thing is before you go on any big adventure, do a test ride, a shakedown ride. Um, so you make sure that your equipment is, um, meets your needs and that's the time to go out and ride into work fully loaded or do what I was doing every early morning, riding with your stuff up a peak and down and finding out like, okay, this bag works here, this bag doesn't work here, this rack's going to work and figure out all that stuff because the more you can prep ahead of time, the less issues you're going to have when you get out there. And if you're on rough terrain, stuff tends to rattle loose here and that and it's better to know that ahead of time and be your prepared to deal with it than when you're out in the middle of nowhere, say, walking for 11 miles because you have no tubes and you didn't actually do good research on this uh, trail. (laughs) You know, I have a a fail story that kind of goes with that. I did a a road race years ago, and I bought a brand-new bike, and I don't know if I'd done a complete ride on it yet. The road race was there, and I said, this is the bike for the race, and took off um, going as hard as I could. But there were dust covers on the crank, and the dust covers weren't tightened down, and they started backing out. And they would back out just enough to clip the the tip of my ankle and bark the skin off with every crank, you know. 
and I didn't have the tool to tighten them back down again. So I would finger tighten them in. And when I did that, of course, I lost the pack. And then I was trying to catch up and trying to catch up. And then, dink, it starts hitting the ankle again. And you get, you know, bloody ankles and frustration because all I needed was an Allen wrench. Yep. (laughs) You know, it's just one of those things. Who would have thought? But um, doing that shakedown ride would have made all the difference. Oh, for sure. For sure. And then, you know, like in that case for you, just having, yeah, the proper tools and having a little bit of knowledge when it comes to basic trail side and basic maintenance and and stuff like that. I mean, uh, and some stuff happens. Sometimes, I mean, Steve, who, you know, we spoke about, I saw a video and um, him and the other guys with John had uh, broken a sea post in the middle of nowhere in Utah and they had to fabricate one out of um, essentially, you know, uh, a wood, a piece of wood wow. in the middle of nowhere in order to ride out. Now, that's pretty extraordinary stuff, but actually I've broken a frame in the middle of nowhere before and had to, you know, get out on it. So, I mean, it's uh, you know, just a little bit of knowledge and creative. You, you can come up with stuff just on the short term to at least get someplace where you can get some help. But having that knowledge and experience helps for sure. Well, hey, I encourage our listeners to to find your passion. It may be that this bike packing is the thing. And if so, work your way into it. Learn about it as you go. And I'm sure there are a lot of resources where you can learn more and more tips and tricks like Brett just outlined for us. But press rewind and list what he just said. I think those are some of the key factors right there. Yeah, and I mean, you know, what's amazing is um, so... There's bikepackersmagazine.com, which is a great resource. There's bikepackingnet.net, and there's bikepacking.com, um, which just put out a uh, kind of a one-on-one sort of about equipment and everything, a really nice website. Um, I do some work and ride for Salsa Cycles, and um, they have a, um, a great – they just put out a book. Um, about bikepacking that one of our fellow riders, um, Kurt Snyder, um, put out. Um, so there's some resources that are coming out, and the sport actually is growing. Um, and so it's really cool to see. Um, and then like we do here in Durango, check with your local shops. But, uh, you know, I always do a clinic or two with our local shop down here talking about fi- uh, fat biking or bikepacking or whatever it is and giving people tips and and stuff like that and talk about trips and whatnot. So there's resources out there. And don't forget the great resource of Outdoor Pursuits. If you're a college student and you're interested in the outdoors, then you might want to think about Fort Lewis and Outdoor Pursuits because, man, you guys really equip people and help them to learn the ropes. Oh, yeah, for sure. And we're we're, um, gearing up right now um, for the new semester, and we've got a big trip calendar, and in there includes a uh, intro to bikepacking kind of clinic one night, and then we'll do a weekend uh, in October out in Utah. Um, and then we've got a pack raft intro to pack rafting trip coming up too in September. Uh, actually, end of uh, beginning of October. So, um, yeah, there's some great ways for students who um, want to get those experiences and learn something new. Our program definitely offers those sorts of things. For anybody that listened to the previous episode 44 about Outdoor Pursuits, you, you already heard that I'm I'm all for it. I think it's a fantastic program. I love Durango, and Fort Lewis is a great college. So people check it out. It's really cool stuff. So, Brett, 
You've just told us so many amazing stories. The next question has got to be hard. What's the coolest thing that you've ever done? Oh, shoot. Um, that's a hard one. I think that uh, I've been blessed in my life um, to be able to go off, and I've climbed big peaks around the world. I've paddled a lot of big rivers around the world. I've been uh, obviously bikepacking and um and you know, canyoneering and skiing, big mountains and stuff like that. And and um, you know, as I said before, we, we kind of went live here. I said it's always the last thing I did in some ways. And um, right now, I think I'm still on a high from us being actually able to complete what we did there in Alaska um, because um, it hadn't been done uh, to our knowledge, and um, maybe it has. Who knows? But uh, we did it, and we had the weather to do it, and it's it's um, pretty darn cool to say that. And, and so uh, that's I'm I'm so lucky. And people say I live the dream, and I know I live the dream, and I create my dream, uh, just like each of us does. And so, but um, I don't know if I have a good clear answer for you, Kurt, on that one. You know, a lot of people just say, "Well, the next trip I'm going to do." <laughs> yeah, exactly, and and uh, I've said that too as well, but, uh, this last one was, it, you know, and it, it, it all comes down to your teammates as well. And, um, Steve and John were, uh, two great teammates and we hadn't done a huge amount of things together. Um, and before this, and I was kind of the unknown, they were pretty close and, uh, we, but we had the perfect combination of skill sets and uh, abilities to be able to go that remote without knowing that we wouldn't have any help and to do what we were doing uh, and pull it off. And so, um, and we all got along. There were no issues and we supported each other. And uh, so, you know, that, that makes a big difference because I've been on the other end of that too, where um, the, the individual you're with, you just don't jive with, you know, and there's issues and whatnot. And you could be in the most beautiful place in the world, but yet it can be tainted by the experience you're having with this, uh, these other people. So I'm pretty choosy about who I um, do these sorts of adventures with um, and, um, you know, and make sure that I trust them and they trust me and we have our each other's back and, and that that's also a big part of all this as well. And so this trip was pretty amazing that way. Very cool. You know, you learn so much from these things. And I I hope our listeners are catching the, the gist of what we've been saying now for, you know, nearly 90 podcasts, that there's there's so much that we can learn by going out and facing our challenges and learning new things and getting together with other people and building that sense of community around a sport that we enjoy in common and it's just so much, you know, I think it, it grows the individual, but it's not just about physical health. It's also about just living life in a way that, um, is satisfying, you know, where you can look back and say, you know what, I got to do some really cool stuff. Oh yeah. I mean, amazing, amazing. Uh, and like I said, I've been, I've been lucky to be in a lot of just amazing places from South America to Asia to, um, all across the states to Europe and whatnot, and um, I've been really, really lucky for sure. So, yeah, that's and pursuing cool. all this stuff, 
and that's what's taken me there, which has been great. Well, I was going to say, you know, you, you've been lucky in the sense that you've got to do a lot of these things, but to a large degree, you make your own luck because you know what you like and you pursue it, and it opens doors. Yeah, and, and I think that that's, um, I always tell our students, we can talk about it or we can go do it. And talking about it is great, um, but it's actually more rewarding if you do it. And in, yeah, in order to do it, that means you're going to have to apply yourself. You're going to have to expend energy. Um, but the rewards are going to be, you know, um, beyond what you can even fathom if you push yourself to do it. And I try to live that and try to model that and encourage them to get out and not just talk about it, not just dream about it, and not say, well, someday I'm going to do this. Well, today's the day. You don't know what you have tomorrow, so let's let's get out and make it happen. So, Yeah, lead by example. I love it, Brett. So close this out, if you would, with a funny story, Brett. There's got to be a good one, even from this last trip. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It, it's um, The thing that comes to my mind, and I'm not so sure it's so funny, uh is a good friend of mine, uh, the gentleman uh, I rode the Colorado Trail with. He, um, I don't know what this says about me or not. He uh, he says it takes him four years to recover from any trip he does with me. Um, so <laughs> we just we did the Colorado Trail, and then four years later, he was the gentleman that was on the, the loop of fun uh, with me. And um, I just remember. Uh, you know, when we were fishing the Colorado Trail, when we were getting ready to ride into Durango, and um, we had had some thunderstorms. We were up on, a, you know, the the, back, the last section of the Colorado Trail into Durango is so beautiful. Uh, I think riding through the San Juans is amazing. And riding what we call the Indian Ridge, um, which is above, tw- around tw- hovers around 12,000 feet for quite a while mm. until you get to Kennebec Pass. So you're exposed up there. And uh, we had, we were riding that thing, and we're both exhausted uh, from the whole thing. And then we're getting into Kennebec Pass, and from Kennebec Pass to Durango, it's 27 miles, and essentially, you know, 23 of it downhill. And then you have a big climb that's 24 miles that's uphill uh, from there. And I remember riding into Kennebec Pass, and we're around Taylor Lake, and I'm behind Jeffy. And he just falls over on the bike and and uh, just wrecks and crashes. And I'm like, Jeffy, what's going on? And and uh, he's just bonked. I could tell he was bonked. And we, I said, Well, we have one more mile. We'll get to Kennewick Pass and we'll get some um, we'll get some food in you. And uh, we get to Kennewick Pass and we're eating our tortillas and cheese and peanut butter and hot sauce, whatever. And uh, I look up and he's crying. And I'm like, Jeffy, what's the deal? You got to hold it together. We still have 27 miles. And it's, it's not, it's one of those moments, though, where you share with somebody um, who we both pushed ourselves physically and had to deal with so much from me breaking racks. And at that point, I was carrying all the weight that I had on my back, um, not on the bike. And uh, Jeff was just like, I didn't think I would be able to complete this. And, um, you know, and it, it was emotional for him. And I was like, well, we're not done yet, dude. We got 27 miles. <laughs> and, uh, we, you know, you can't lose it on me now. We got 27 miles. And he's like, I'll crawl all the way to Durango. I just know that I will make it now. 
you know, and so um, it's not really too much in the comedy uh, of the genre that you ask, uh, but it is one of those poignant moments where there was a humor in it afterwards of us laughing about it in the bars. I'm like egging him on, but also that moment again that we go back to about it to you. You never know what you can do if you don't get out there and try it. And that was a big push for him and for me um, in terms of attempting that sort of stuff. And then um, a brotherhood and the, the sort of thing where we shared that experience together. And fortunately, four years later, he did come back and, um, you know, we uh, attempted uh, the loop of fun and did that. And um, so, you know, there we go. <laughs> it is so cool to find out what you're made of on a new level that you never knew existed. And, and that's cool when you get to share that with someone else. Very inspirational. Thanks for that story, Brett. Yeah, for sure. It wasn't so much on the comedic side of things, but uh, I don't know. I don't know if uh, I'm such a, co- a comedian. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have thoroughly enjoyed your stories today, and thank you very much for your time. Yeah, it's been my pleasure, Kurt. Thanks. And uh, hopefully people will get out there and And, um, yeah, just go have an adventure by bike. Man, I love it. I mean, I have not been bike packing. I've done some, some extended road rides for, you know, week long trips and stuff, but I've never tried the idea of, of packing on a bike and you've inspired me. I'm going to have to give that a shot. Yeah. You come down to Durango. We'll, we'll go out and have some fun. All right. I'm looking forward to it. And to all of our listeners out there, maybe bikepacking is your thing. You never know. But until the next episode, go try some stuff. Get out there and have some fun. 